Thanks for calling the Midnight Drive-In. No one is here to take your call. This week's movies are Blackula and Dr. Black and Mr. Hyde. If I say anything here, you're gonna call me racist. For more info, check out the Midnight Drive-In on Twitter at Pod or find us on Facebook. If you want to email us, send it to themidnightdrivein at gmail.com. Remember, no outside food or drink. Anyone caught performing sexual acts at the drive-in will immediately be taken to the office. Unspeakable things will be done to you. Thanks for calling. Drive away your worries and cares at this drive-in theater. That's why, to familiarize you with the movie rating symbols which will be used by this theater, we present the following guide for parents and young people. X, no one under 17 admitted. I don't want to do it this close together. Why not? Because it's not Black History Month. We don't want to take over our podcast. Don't be racist. <laughs> we don't. It doesn't have to be during Black History Month, Doug. <laughs> I just find that interesting that Noah thinks it's racist to do movies like that during Black History Month. I don't. Yeah, I, I don't know what's racist and what's not. I I'm not saying it's wrong. I just find it weird. I just I I feel like a lot of podcasts do the black exploitation Black History Month thing, and mm-hmm. I feel like it is uh, making it into a joke, which is. I, I'm sure it's not actually their intention, but that's that's what they're doing. How is it making it into a joke? I'd like that explained further. Because there's a million ways to do like Black History stuff, even with horror movies and other kinds of movies, without just doing black exploitation movies. Does that make sense? No. So it's more the fact that these movies fall into the black exploitation category that you have a problem with. Well, speci- specifically, doing all black exploitation mm-hmm. for Black History Month, I feel like is a a tired and uh, tone deaf white people not getting that they're being racist thing. Because it's not like they're doing it as a celebration of this particular black director or you know what I mean or this particular black actor no it's just like yeah we're doing fucking sweet sweet back ha 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 black people which so, is, which is I, I, I do right. tend to agree that anybody who says ha 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 black people is probably being racist at the time I, I can agree with that mm-hmm. <laughs> Um. so like what if we did like well, I mean, this is just an example because we did this on last horrorcast, so Doug will veto it. But uh, what if we did like Tales from the Tales from the Crypt Demon Knight? Because it's got a, a black lead actress and then the director is black. I don't see. I wouldn't have a problem with that. Hmm. Interesting. Right. I'm, I'm saying I wouldn't even have a, I wouldn't even have a problem with black exploitation movies if people made it a point and tried to like focus on the fact that it's people of color making art and not just ha 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 black exploitation. You know what I mean? Sure. I'm just curious. 
Yeah. What if we all just talked in old timey block person accents? Oh that, no. Yeah, that, that would that'd be racist. That'd be racist, okay. <laughs> yeah. That's that is a bad idea. You feeling around? I'm just, just seeing where you guys draw the line, that's yeah. all. Yeah, Doug's just seeing where the border's at. So if we all just did Morgan Freeman impressions the whole episode, that would be racist. <laughs> that's a, see, that's, that's a good question. question. Are we just doing Morgan Freeman voices because he's black, or just because it's funny to do Morgan Freeman voices? It's interesting. Because I, I, I listen to a podcast uh, that deals deals with race, race relations stuff. And they did an entire episode joking about the fact that the reason why white people like Morgan Freeman's voice so much is that he sounds like a white person. Mm. He has the deep resonance of <laughs> of a person of color, but he has the diction of a white person. Isn't most of what Morgan Freeman says written for him by other people because he's an actor? So how do we know what his diction is like? Be because of the you can listen to him speak in interviews and stuff. I yeah, don't really do that. He does have a silky smooth voice. I um, I also listened to a podcast that was about race relations, specifically how it comes about in entertainment. And Dan Harmon and his Asian co-host broke down if they thought um, Big Trouble in Little China was racist. It it is. Eh, they came out on the side that it, it it wasn't as much as it could be. Okay, maybe not as much as it could be, because <laughs> I mean you could go right out, right? Yeah. You, you could have had all those Asian stereotypes in that movie played by white people just <laughs> in yellow face, and then it would be more racist. But I don't think that changes the fact that it's currently racist. <laughs> it's eighties racist in that way, where it's like, well, they didn't mean it in a bad way. It's just. It clearly came across in a bad way. <laughs> yeah, they weren't trying to be mean. Yeah. Sometimes you're an asshole by accident. It happens to the best of us. After after all, every Asian is either mystical or can do Kung Fu. Well, I mean, that's uh, just science. Yeah. That's not an or situation. There are many, many Asians who are both. Sorry, I'm trying to figure out what my dog is doing. It's okay. She's got a bone in her mouth as she's trying to go upstairs, but then the bone keeps hitting the step as she's going up. So now she's confused of if she should keep going or drop the bone. The the worst thing about racism in uh, Big Trouble in Little China <laughs> is that uh, you can't say Eyes of Creamy Jade and make it funny without doing the low pan voice. And the low pan voice <laughs> coming out of a white person's mouth is super racist. Well, unless you say, that just pisses me right off. <laughs> like, is that racist? That's not really... Yeah, yeah, a little bit. Really? So, I've always contended that if you're doing the impression of a specific person, then it's not racist. It's just what that person sounds like. That's it's always good. been my argument, especially if you're using I, I suppose, dialogue from that person. But if you could do a good enough uh, <laughs> impression, I suppose that people would instantly recognize who you were impersonating that would be okay but like if i attempted to do lopan i would just sound like me doing a racist caricature of a asian well, person. 
Yeah, and you might find yourself having to explain to strangers on the street that you're not racist, that you're doing specific character. I can, I can, I can guarantee you one thing. If you ever have to say, no, no, I'm not racist, it's because you just did something racist. <laughs> <laughs> you're not wrong. Um, I don't know. Should we just get into it? Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of racism... <laughs> uh, Noah, why don't you tell us about Blackula since you seem to have a boner over this franchise? Oh, yeah. So, uh, Blackula is the story about a black prince who uh, comes to Dracula's castle in order to negotiate the cessation of slavery. And it turns out Blackula's super, or uh, that Dracula's super racist. <laughs> Yeah, and, and so he's like, "Hey, how dare you be black and be in my castle? So I'm going to uh, turn you into a vampire, lock you in a coffin, so that you will thirst for blood, but you can never have blood. And then I'm going to like cask of Amontillado you into this room <laughs> with your lady friend and just let her uh, rot to death, which is pretty fucking hardcore, really. You know, yeah, it's, that's quite the punishment he dishes out there." Yeah. Of all the things to hate Dracula floor, then you find out he's racist. It's like, yeah. goddamn. He's <laughs> racist on top of everything else. And for some reason, he decides to be like, I'm going to curse you with my name, and you will be Blackula. <laughs> and it's like, mm. it's like, oh, come on, man. That's racist. <laughs> yeah. It's like, but I'm racist Dracula, so what are you going to do about it? You know, my favorite part of racist Dracula in this movie is, though. It's the fact that he's like that kind of stuck up arrogant racism where he thinks he's doing you a favor by speaking to you since you're of a lesser race. <laughs> and he actually, he actually is like, he starts talking about the prince's uh, wife. And then when the prince gets like a little defensive because he's, you know, talking shit with his wife, he's like, no, 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 you don't understand. For me to look at a black woman and think she's pretty is a real compliment to her. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, holy shit, Dracula, calm down. Tone, tone it, tone it down, Dracula. Like, God, the hundreds of years of murdering people is one thing, but this is pushing it. Uh, so then, in the the nineteen seventies, uh, some people buy out all of Dracula's shit to sell it. Apparently, and apparently, whoever was selling that stuff found a coffin with a padlock on it and wasn't curious about that at all like this would make a great coffee table right in the interest uh, of fairness i think they don't uh they make the deal to sell everything in the castle before they find the coffin and then they're like the coffin's ours too right and the guy's like yeah i guess so all right yeah but they uh, make no effort of like maybe we should open this here Nah. I mean, should we wait till we get back to Los Angeles? Yeah, you might be transporting a corpse, which I'm pretty sure some regulations and stuff. Didn't we do the research uh, on it? You can buy and sell corpses all you want. You can, but I don't think I. I think you would need some kind of paperwork just to transport a dead human carcass across uh, country lines. There, I don't know. Hmm. I've never tried it, so. I don't know. Keep, keep in mind, this movie is set pre nine eleven, so the regulations were a lot less stringent. That's true. That's true. They're super chill. Uh, so Blackula wakes up uh, and starts eating people's as as one is wont to do. He then, of course, in 
stereotypical Dracula formula bumps into a girl who looks exactly like his his dead princess wife, uh, whose name conveniently is Tina, not Mina. Tina. <laughs> don't 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 pretend like this story's derivative. <laughs> Different name. Well, you're acting like that's not a coincidence. I don't right. understand where you're getting that from. Did you read somewhere that there's a connection or I don't I don't think so. I'm just worried that people might think that this movie just flagrantly cribs every aspect of its story off of Dracula. <laughs> I don't know why for a movie called Blackula. Right. Just wanna make sure. Wanna make sure we know where where we're at. Uh so a bunch of other people get killed and then we get like a cop slash bounty hunter dude with a fro and a mustache who's our new Helsing who like yeah. kind of knows about vampires but it's he's like a medical really... examiner actually yeah it's <laughs> it's never really fully ex- explained or anything I don't know he's yeah. just like I'm a medical examiner you have to know these things like how to fight vampires yeah you guys never saw that very special episode of Quincy where he fought vampires <laughs> Uh, and that's, I mean, that's, that's pretty much the plot. I mean, uh, it, it for, for, uh, how derivative and stereotypically exploitation it sounds, it's actually a really solid movie. Yeah, it's, from a story perspective, it's the Dracula story. Like, it's almost the same story as, uh, AD 1972 that came out in the same years. <laughs> it's just what if the people in it were black? That's that's just the take on it. I was pleasantly surprised that it's actually got a real story to it, and it's not just a series of black jokes in a row. Because that's what I was worried we were going to watch. <laughs> I, I do, I do like the fact that uh, Blackula's transformation from uh, normal prince mode into Blackula mode is that you know, of course, he gets the teeth and freaky eyes. But he also grows super sweet Joe Dirt side chops for no reason. <laughs> it didn't really make sense to me at first, and then I realized nothing else in the movie really makes that much sense. So, yeah, chops and giant eyebrows as well. Right, right. And do you, do you guys very much enjoy the fact that every time he bites somebody, he goes? <laughs> <laughs> He like, <laughs> screams into their neck wound. <laughs> yeah. Just putting his own take on the character, that's all. He's got to differentiate himself from that racist asshole at the beginning of the movie. I mean, I'm, I'm all right with it. Like, they tried to make him a little more, like, feral and aggressive. But <laughs> but just the yelling yelling into someone's neck is just a... It's an odd choice. This is... This is a movie where Dracula, relatively on a regular basis, hangs out at like nightclubs in L.A., and no one brings up the fact that he's clearly a vampire and he's dressed like a stereotypical vampire. <laughs> do, do you keep uh, commenting on his cape, though? I was, I was getting ready to say, it is 1970s L.A., so do you think a dude dressed in a cape is really that odd? Nobody else is wearing a cape. That's how they keep track of who he is. They keep yeah, but did you, but do you see the clothes that everyone's wearing? <laughs> like everybody's wearing some different, just bizarre thing. They they probably just look at him and go, "Oh, he's a pimp." Definitely. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe I'm not up to date on my 1970s LA 
fashion, but I feel like he stood out quite a bit. I especially thought it was hilarious when that medical examiner guy like tracks him down to the bar and is actually chatting with Blackula about like we've got to find who the vampire could be. And Blackula's like, I, I don't know who it's going to be. He seems like he might be very clever. <laughs> it's just literally like a, it's I, I don't even know how to describe it. Like it's one step away from him, like having to like hide the teeth behind his hand when he talks or something. <laughs> Who in this room could be a vampire? Could it be the new stranger who just showed up in town and walks around wearing a black suit with a black cape all the time? It only shows up at night. Uh, yeah, I was always worried about watching this movie just because I thought I figured it was just going to be sort of a parody of Dracula movies thrown in a blender with black exploitation. And I mean, there's there's a little bit of that, but it's not. It's taken a little bit more seriously. Like I watched that horror noir documentary, and they talked to the director about how he he wanted to bring some nobility to the character and try to take out a little bit more of like the uh, over the top stuff that was going on at the time. Like everybody in the movies was always a pimp or prostitute or something like that, and they tried to make it a little bit more serious, which Wait. I enjoyed. When I bite somebody, how should I do that? Well, I really want to bring some respect and dignity to this character and keep things low-key. So how about you just uh, shout aggressively into their neck wounds? Like this? <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's the one. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I do think, like, with regards to that, like, the movie's obviously cheesy, but I think the cheesiness is on par with other stuff that was coming out at the time like it is 1972 um you know like like the obvious comparison is dracula 80 1972 which is you know there's a lot of similarities in the fact that it's the vampire being transported to the modern era and being Mm -hmm. confused and meeting up with people they both have like full-length musical numbers in them for some reason um you know it's just one's a british movie and one's set in in LA, but it's there. Um, you know, I, I think when you when you decide to do a movie called Blackula, there's two ways you can go with it: is the ridiculous, over the top, like constant jokes about how he's a black vampire, or there's the little bit more serious but still relatively cheesy version that they did, which was probably the right move. I don't think you could make a dead serious movie called Blackula. It just wouldn't. <laughs> I mean. You could have a black vampire in another in a different movie, but I don't think you can call it that and expect people to go in and go like, "Yeah, I'm hoping this is a legitimately scary film." I would, I would dare to say that it is as solid a vampire movie as any Hammer vampire movie. Yeah, like I think it's I like eighty seventy two is by far my favorite of the uh, Hammer ones, and. I think this is a very, very similar film. Uh, any favorite kills in the movie? Uh, I, I mean, really, at the end of the day, I think my favorite's got to be the uh, Blackula's death scene at the end. It is pretty fun to watch. Right, it's hardcore. He goes out like a boss. You gotta respect the guy. <laughs> uh, I do like the slow-mo shot of the crazy vampire lady coming after that 
I don't know. Is he supposed to be like a janitor or something? Something. <laughs> I also like the uh, the toward the end whenever they're in the warehouse fighting and all the uh, all the thrall vampires start coming out and they find just like a a case of old oil lamps. <laughs> and they just start throwing them at them. Yeah, and just start grenading people. And and I'm pretty sure when you hit somebody with oil, you gotta light it before they burst into flames. But apparently, like vampires produce just enough natural ambient heat that if you hit them with just an oil lamp, it will burst into flames. I was gonna ask about that because I I was like, did I miss the part where they lit it on fire? I think they were all. We assume that the lamps were lit when they were in the box. And when they took oh, them out and just started throwing them, that would make there was already a flame there. Like, well, that, very... that does make sense. Yeah. See, I, I do think, though, to. I think that scene is interesting because I think they're playing on. Like, Molotov cocktails are a racist person's idea of what a black person would use to fight vampires. And so I think by using, like, a. Like, the lantern is more of a traditional thing that you would use on vampires but using them in this way i think means it's they're playing on the black tropes without going so far as to make a joke out of the fact that they're black does that make sense like you have to be a little clever to think about it or else you wouldn't notice it and that makes it a lot more fun for me does it make it better that they're like ornate like lanterns i guess <laughs> i can be fully honest with you to admit i don't know what ornate means uh, i see it all the time okay. used to describe things and i just go with it <laughs> Uh, fancy. Okay. I mean, like rich, rich covered, covered in hands. ornamentations. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> then yes, it does make it better. <laughs> yeah, like in the seventies, like like stuffy old white people would have them in their house. Yeah, and uh, like I like I think that it works on on because I, I think that goes back to like the whole thing with Dracula's castle was full of that stuff, right? And they're kind of mocking that old idea of sort of hoity-toity vampire that lives in a castle with all the fanciest of things and no one's ever quite sure how they managed to live in a castle because it's hard for vampires to hold down a job. Uh, I do love the actor that uh, plays him's voice. He's got like this real deep, commanding like authoritative voice. Mm-hmm. Just naturally. And the king of cartoons? That's right. The king of cartoons. And now you know what happens at Pee Wee. The king of cartoons <laughs> comes and plays a cartoon and then goes and fucking offs ten motherfuckers. What's weird about that? That sounds yeah, perfect I, for Pee Wee. I, I was getting ready to say absolutely nothing if you ever rewatch any of Pee Wee's Playhouse. Jesus. <laughs> yeah, so that's where Captain Carl went. Um, I don't know. I really enjoyed this movie. Uh, which I'm happy with since, again, we were worried about it being super cheesy and campy and whatnot. It had its relative share of, of camp to it, which I thought it was yeah, actually probably I mean, my favorite stuff was the camp stuff. Yeah, um, I mean, it's made in the 70s, so that's kind of like built into <laughs> it. <laughs> One of the things I loved is like, so when he first sees the Tina and he just decides to like give chase and she's running away and he's chasing her around. <laughs> um, and the whole scene is, is pretty cheesy and kind of fun to watch. And you're like, okay, they don't have great special effects, so they just have them actually running. And I've discussed before, no normal human being looks good when they run. So <laughs> they all look pretty foolish running around. And then you add in the 70s outfits. But she drops her purse and he picks it up. And then, like, 
he just brings it back to her at the bar. And I guess they're playing off the whole like vampires can like you know seduce you with their minds and have a little bit of control over you and stuff. But it's just hilarious how he just shows back up and it's like I brought you back your purse. You look like my wife, so I just decided to chase you through the streets, and she's just okay with that and invites him to sit down with her friends. <laughs> and I'm like, that's awesome. That was rather awkward. She's <laughs> like, really? just, you were running from him, and now you're like, hey, why don't you sit and hang out with us? And you can see all the friends are all looking like, we're just going to let this guy sit down then? All right, I, I don't know what to do here. <laughs> but it was, it was all that kind of cheesy, fun stuff that I really enjoyed. I didn't really like get into the investigative aspects of it of the uh, with the medical examiner and that. Although some of the stuff with him was pretty funny too. Like when he was trying to get the rights to exhume bodies, <laughs> trying to explain it to the police chief or whatever it was, and he's like, "They're just there's like no, we're not going to let you dig up a body." He's like, "I need to to find out about the." I can't tell you why I need to do it because he doesn't want to say vampire. <laughs> yeah, and then when he tells him no, he's like, "Yeah, fuck it." <laughs> He told his, his assistant slash girlfriend or whatever that whole yeah. situation was. She's like, hey, we got to go dig up a body. And it's like, oh, all right. I did like that moment when they like break open the uh, casket and the vampire that was locked in there comes flying out. I thought that, that was, was cool. Yeah, I thought the look of the sort of the uh, henchman vampires were pretty cool in this movie. Yeah, it was kind of like Nosferatu-esque. Yeah. But with that cheesy blueness that they put on people in the 70s to make them seem dead. I don't know why they thought people turned blue when they died back then, but... It's like Nosferatu meets the zombies from Dawn of the Dead. <laughs> Pretty much. Um, anything else you're a big fan of, Noah? Uh, I'm trying to think. Man, I really like the whole movie. I don't. I don't have any complaints. It pretty much delivers on everything. Yeah. I. Th I think that if I had less respect for the movie, I might complain that there wasn't enough boobages for an exploitation film. Mm. But but I think they were doing a very uh, honest attempt at not making a super exploitative film. <laughs> it's yeah, that's what the director lot. said. He, the director said he tried to tone a bunch of that stuff back. Right, right. Just make it a little more classy or whatever. Well, I feel like, yeah, this is an exploitation movie now, but in 1972, is it really an exploitation movie? Probably not. Probably doesn't qualify. <laughs> I mean, compared to that era of filmmaking. I would, I would say it's really, I mean, if you boil it down to what it is, the only thing that can possibly be viewed as exploitative about it is like thematic stuff. You know what I mean? That they're oh, it's a crib on Dracula, so it's kind of got free marketing there. And then yeah. obviously, it's it's got a specific racial demographic it's targeted at. But besides those two things, I it's not an exploitative movie. It's not it's not gory. It's not overly violent. No, overly sexual. Like it just it doesn't it doesn't have any of the hallmarks of exploitation film. You know what? It really just screams to me is just like somebody had the idea that like, you know, there's a demographic that does not really go see these types of movies. But if we just made a movie where all the people looked like that demographic, maybe they'd come. And they just did that. Um, 
otherwise it like it doesn't it doesn't feel like they were doing anything exploitive except for setting it in a black community for the sake of uh, getting a new audience in so it feels almost less like an like most exploitation films don't feel like they were made via marketing decision this movie kind of feels like it was but in a good way which is awkward yeah i mean sometimes marketing decisions result in good things mm -hmm. most of the time it doesn't no <laughs> but maybe it, maybe this time it well and i also think because the era it came from like i think if you try this same thing in 2019 where you just take a any particular horror franchise if you just like if you just took saw and we're like the next saw is going to be saw into hood and you just started like editing in like all of a sudden now it's like oh it turns out that like jigsaw's great grandfather was black and now he's rediscovering his hip-hop side like that would feel really really exploitative but i think in the 70s it was like it didn't feel that way because i think the society was naturally more segregated so it made sense that different people from different groups didn't cross over when it came to like going to see movies mm. if that makes sense yeah like i don't know i i wasn't alive in 1972 so i shouldn't comment on it too much but my understanding is that you know the further back you go the more these groups all these different ethnic groups and stuff were all physically separated and just yeah like you you couldn't put hammer horror movies in a theater in a black neighborhood and expect people to go they wouldn't have been able to relate to a bunch of guys speaking british accents and stuff so they just made them their own version and it's like cool and now we get to appreciate both i'm, I'm still upset that the greatest black exploitation movie was never made which is the black creature from the lagoon how was that never made into a movie seriously <laughs> <laughs> It upsets me. It's so obvious. How would you... I don't know if I want to know the answer to this, but how would you make the creature of the Black Lagoon appear African-American? Would you just put an afro on that thing and have it swimming around? Because I think that would upset people. I, let, let me tell you something. None of us can answer that question without sounding real racist. Yeah. So, so we're not going so to answer that question. <laughs> Uh, I was going to say, it's because the creature from the Black Lagoon is sort I mean, of a, a metaphor for racism, and, and you make the black creature from the lagoon. It's like... The, I, I just think... You make it a metaphor because, for reverse racism. <laughs> well, I think the funniest thing would be that because the, these movies aren't just a, a uh, transposition of, of race... It's also a transposition of setting because typically these stories are moved into these urban environments and stuff. And I'm just saying, imagine the creature from the Black Lagoon dressed like a 1970s pimp walking around downtown New York and tell me that that's not a fucking movie because that should be a movie. Could it carry one of those pimp canes with its webbed hands or would that I, be difficult I for think it would make it work. I'm not sure that I want to see that movie now that you've described it in, in its entirety. Oh my God, I need it. I need. I need someone to time travel back to the 1970s and scream at someone to have that movie made. Yeah, because yeah, really, you can't. You can't make it nowadays. That just right. That just wouldn't work. Unless maybe the guys who made like Black Dynamite make it. I, yeah. 
I don't know. <laughs> I'm staring at my creature from the Black Lagoon poster right now. And the creature <laughs> does have like big lips that. Whoa! A racist uh, cartoon character. What, what did I say? What did I say about not answering questions? <laughs> I was, I, I'm saying that if you were drawing a racist interpretation of a black character in the 50s, that was the kinds of lips you would have put on it. I never did that, just for the record. So you're saying the filmmakers may have known what they were doing. I do not know that, whether they knew that or not. <laughs> I also, like, don't know if the lips are as pronounced in the movie, because the movie's in black and white. And the poster is in color, so it might not stand out as much in the film. We'll have to rewatch it and let you know, or never bring this up again because I'm already <laughs> worried that we're going to get emails. Uh, I encourage emails because let us know if we're if the three stupid white guys talking about Blackula fucked up somehow. I think it would be a good discussion to have. I think the next movie is going to be harder. Okay, <laughs> um, anything else about Blackula? Uh, highest of recommends. Yeah, yeah. I was, I'm glad I watched this. This is the first time watch for me, so I was happy to give it a watch. That's it. If you like, if you like black exploitation movies, it's awesome. If you like, uh, like uh, 1970s esque uh, horror movies, Hammer stuff, things like that, you'll like it. I mean, really, I think if you like universal stuff and you have a slight sense of humor, you should like it. <laughs> yeah, I think the, the comparison to the Hammer stuff is probably the most apt. It's like it's kind of on par with what they were doing. Now, they don't have a Christopher Lee or a Peter Cushing to rely on, which is mm-hmm. hurts them a little. But it is basically the same style of filmmaking, just set in a different setting. Um, so I, th- I think that's that's the recommendation is if you like those movies, you'll also enjoy this one. I, I was surprised by how little it relied on the fact that the characters were black to make the plot move forward. And just, it was just a Dracula movie basically, which was nice. For me. Yeah. That is sort of the interesting thing that like you could take the, uh, black actors out of it and put in white actors. I mean, obviously we'd have to change a couple things to not come off as, super racist but i feel like you could tell the same story with a completely different set of actors of a different race yeah you could and you could move it to a different time period if you wanted and tell basically the same story you know obviously like the the musical act that gets a full musical number in the middle of this movie (laughs) would be different depending on the setting and the time frame you chose and all that but other than that it's like pretty much a universal style movie it's you can be moved around anywhere and a like I say, I I was relieved that it wasn't just a series of black jokes in a row. That's what I was worried about. That's why I've avoided this movie in the past. Yeah. I agree. Um, all right, Doug, would you want to tell us about Dr. Black and Mr. Hyde? Well, first of all, it's Dr. Black, Mr. Hyde. It's not actually a... There's no hand, which really throws you off when you're trying to search for this movie online. Um... <laughs> And then, yeah, it's Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde. That's all. It's a there's a doctor. He's there's there's slightly more to it than that, good sir. There's a there's a doctor. He's trying to find a cure for syphilis or whatever. 
Um, and he ejects himself. Of the liver. Same thing. It doesn't matter. No, no those are different. They're, they're different, but it doesn't matter what he's trying to cure. The point is he sticks himself with this experimental stuff, and then it starts turning him into this monster. And then at night he goes out and kills people, and that goes on for a while. Uh, and then uh, they do the King Kong ending, where everyone's chasing him through the streets, and he tries to climb up high, and they shoot him, and he falls to his death. Once, once again, I feel like you're glossing over the most important thing about his transformation. <laughs> he, he sort of turns white when he decides to kill <laughs> not, not just sort of turns white. The serum literally unleashes his inner whiteness and turns him into a vicious killing machine. Uh, which scientifically accurate (laughs) yeah and it there's okay so there's a whole message in this film about how he turns white and then he goes into these black neighborhoods and he's killing pimps and prostitutes and at some point the police just think it's like a vigilante almost like it's just okay to do that Um, or at least recognizing that some people would think it's okay to do that uh, which is the film takes the perspective that it's not okay to go into the ghetto of a major city and to kill any pimps or hookers that you might find on the streets, uh, which most of us can probably get behind that. Um, yeah. I, I assume. I don't want to make any judgments on behalf of other people. Yeah. There were, uh, there were comments like, oh, he's cleaning up our, the city for us. Yeah. And it is sort of like, I, I I wasn't sure. Are they just saying like, okay, everybody's racist because it's okay to go into these black neighborhoods and kill people, or are they? Is it a Batman type scenario where they're like, well, technically he's killing criminals? Um, I thought it was it was sort of interesting because the the criminals that they chose were mostly uh, prostitutes. Which yeah, I, I, I was gonna say, but are are prostitutes bad people? Like, it's I feel like I, again they're. they're that's they're, why I said criminals, not bad guys. Like, yeah, you know yeah, I mean? they're, they're either neutral or uh, maybe victims. Yeah, I mean... Mm. But from a societal perspective, many, many people see them as the problem and not... You know, uh, again, I'm not saying I agree with that. I'm saying a lot of people in our society would think of hookers as something you want to get off the street. And so the argument that he's cleaning up the streets and making it more, a little more family friendly comes from that. He also wants to homogenize everyone with his super drug and turn everyone into a weird white man beast. <laughs> well, he wants to cure their cirrhosis of the liver. Yeah, they're not very subtle about sort of their message of this movie. <laughs> like, there's lots of talk even beforehand that he's sort of not really connected with his cultural community yeah and then he takes a serum and literally turns white and starts killing everybody it's like yeah maybe a little bit more subtlety would have helped you guys huh i don't think this movie was going for subtlety in as much as black yellow was a very subtle film (laughs) this film (laughs) is just like no i mean this movie can easily be described more as an exploitation movie even though it doesn't have the yeah, even though it doesn't have necessarily the level of violence as some of the other ones we've talked about, or uh, there's not a lot of blood, but it is literally, there are like 10 minute long scenes of just like 
pimps in bars trying to figure out which hooker to send home with guys. Yeah. And then this guy's just storming through the streets, just like killing everybody he finds. My favorite exploitation thing about this movie is that so 75% of the cast of this movie are female prostitutes. Yeah. And the way they put nudity into this movie is they're like, oh, yeah, he's a doctor. So naturally, <laughs> his patients will be topless while he's examining them. And it's like, well, f- first of all, he's he's a research doctor <laughs> specializing in liver disorders. He works yeah. out at the free clinic. Come on. Now. Yeah. Why? Why are her titties out? Like, <laughs> the, like in the opening moments of the movie, there's a woman who's breaststroke for like several minutes while they have a conversation. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't. I don't spend a lot of time in doctors' offices, but I don't think that's how it works. <laughs> well, not anymore. This was the seventies, Doug. That's a solid point. Uh, it, yeah. it, it is funny that it's not the prostitutes who we see naked. It's the like I don't know how to put it, like the women who are going to the patients of his at his clinic. I also don't know. I don't know if this was on purpose or not, or if it was just the the problem of of w- the way they were transforming him. Did anybody think that the uh, that him and his transformed state looked a lot like the vampires from like Last Man on Earth? Yeah, uh, I can see it. Yeah, I, I hadn't pieced it together, but I don't know if that was on purpose or not. But I mean, I, like, I find it super weird that they called him like an ape when he transformed because he did not look like an ape to me. <laughs> Anybody else find that weird? Are you saying he didn't look like an ape because he was white? <laughs> I'm trying not to say that <laughs> because <laughs> I'm saying you're he barely... really, you are really pushing this shit to the limit. Doug. <laughs> you feel like, I know you feel like you're safe up there in Canada. Like Peace what I love. What I'm saying is they they refer to him as an ape. They give him the whole King Kong ending. It's obviously a King Kong reference, right? With the climbing the tower and the being shot down by the police and the fall and everything. And uh, they so were say thinking... ape several times, but I don't see what was ape like about him. Hmm. See, I wasn't thinking King Kong. I was thinking Hunchback in Notre Dame. But yeah, oh, Hunchback in Notre Dame and the end chase sequence kind of reminded me of uh, the old Phantom of the Opera too, where they're kind of like chasing him through the streets and stuff. Is that like every movie made between, before 1950 <laughs> had like the exact same ending? Is that what we're getting at here? Yeah, yeah, because I do see the King Kong ending now that you're. Yeah, and like now that you guys up. bring up these other ones, I'm like, yeah, I can see that too. Um, I just it was just the climbing the tower thing that really made me feel like King Kong. But I guess if you just made that a building instead of a tower that makes it hunchback right yeah other than that they're kind of the same thing <laughs> yeah I, that's an interesting trope we've learned about <laughs> old timey movies <laughs> yeah there was uh i felt like some references to um of course dr jekyll and mr hyde that's obvious. Yeah, um there's some uh sort of references to jack the ripper which i thought was interesting yeah, and then uh, yeah, I felt like Hunchback in Notre Dame by the end. I thought it was interesting how they pretty much put all those together. Yeah, well, I, I we were talking about his appearance, the way he moved, and the fact that he was like had that sort of stone face to him. Like, I was thinking they obviously had some inspiration from Frankenstein as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's you know, there's a 
they really, even though it's called Dr. Black, Mr. Hyde, they really reached into a lot of different movies to steal ideas from for this one. <laughs> Overall, I thought the execution of this was pretty good, though. I like, I, mm-hmm. it was, it was almost, it was more fun to watch than Black Hill in the sense that there was just more just running around killing people for the sake of it. Mm-hmm. Which was, you know. I just, uh, I wish we lived in a world where everyone on the internet who ever accused anyone of being an SJW could be tranquilized and then locked in a, a Saw-esque trap of a movie theater where they're all chained to their movie theater seat and this movie's just played on repeat and <laughs> their eyes melt out of their head. <laughs> Yeah, I did enjoy his uh, freakishly uh, powerful grip that he has when he's in Mr. Hyde. Where some some chick came at him with a knife and he just like grabbed her hand and basically just like broke her wrist. Yeah, the the super strength was an interesting twist on the whole character because he's just like he was already this big guy, right? That probably could overpower most of the prostitute Mm -hmm. characters on his own. But he's just like you become so super strong and you're just like, oh, they don't stand a chance. There's not like there's a discussion about what's going to happen when he shows up on scene. Even when they finally kill him, it's like 20 cops with like machine guns to take him down. <laughs> Once again, brilliant wordplay though. His name is like Dr. Pride instead of, <laughs> instead of Hyde. <laughs> Which, you know, very, very clever. I didn't even put that together until right now. Actually, or yeah, seriously, I never uh, thought about it. So, I mean, apparently, if you if you choose to go looking, according to some of the stuff I've read about this movie, like um, his experimenting at the beginning, where he's doing like experiments on people that their permission is intentionally a reference to the Tuskegee experiments as well. Oh yeah, and you know, so all that's there's a lot. Of, it seems like there's a lot more of that sort of like black exploitation element to this film than there was to, to Blackula in the sense that there's a lot more of these themes of like, you know, the white oppressors and the, I don't, I don't know how to say it without coming across like an asshole. <laughs> there's, a, there's a lot more of, of the like, you know, more, it's more about black people fighting back against the society that's oppressing them. Than and and flagrant racism. Yeah. In the, I think we skipped over that. In Blackula, I, I kind of like, and I'm certain it pisses people off, that the the only open racism we see in that movie, besides weird racist Dracula at the beginning of the movie, I apologize for laughing, but racist Dracula is... Racist I, Dracula is hilarious. I don't yeah, care who you are. Yeah, I, I, really yes, funny. it's racist. Also funny. But toward the end of the movie where we get all the cops involved... Of course, all of the cops are white guys, and they're the only ones throwing around like pejoratives and stuff. The only ones. And of course, they're chasing uh, Dracula and the chick that he's quote fingers kidnapped. And of course, they open fire and shoot her. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, no, and, and certainly like we were referencing earlier about the idea that that he was sort of cleaning up the streets, quote unquote. Like it seems. I don't know if I can say this with certainty, but it seems like it was the white cops who thought it was kind of okay for these black prostitutes to be killed and the, that 
uh, the black police officer was the one who was sort of going, no, we got to get in there and get it. Does that feel right to you guys? <laughs> uh, I think so. Yeah. yeah. Like it's, again, I can't, like I can't specifically say if which characters had which lines in this movie because I was kind of laughing a lot at the kill scenes and stuff and I'm not paying as much attention to the dialogue. But uh, that's how it felt. I will say if I have a criticism of this film, it's like the amount of time that we spend with some of like the prostitutes in bars and it's like arguing with the pimp about whether they're going to go home with certain Johns and all that. And I'm like, we don't, we don't really need that. He, he could have killed two more people on screen by now. If we just concentrate on Dr. Hyde, nobody says no to silky. <laughs> See, not racist. Cause you were referencing a specific character. Well, plus I don't think pimp voice is black voice. Even white pimps in 70s movies all talk the same way. <laughs> he is the most stereotypical uh, pimp I've ever seen in, in like a movie, though. It is just... <laughs> it is just... Again, it's like a cartoon character version of a, of a pimp. It's... I did like uh, seeing uh, Mr. Hyde crush that one pimp with his car. Yep. Seems a, seems a little overkill. Like maybe he could have just, you know, choke him or something, but yeah. in some this like movie is also like getting into the because it's seventy six, I think it came out. Hmm. So we're we're approaching slasher time frame and I think there was some element of let's just make these kills fun to watch. Because <laughs> you know, we're we're no longer trying to do the, like the classy horror thing where the kills are bloodless and this is more of a like. This would be funny. Let's let's all laugh while this person dies. <laughs> a little crazy, Doctor Black, Mister Hyde. Yeah. All right. Does anybody else got anything? No, not really. I don't think we did a very good job of discussing that movie, but I think it's because we're all scared to say anything wrong. So <laughs> people should watch it and read up on it. And like, I think even just the Wikipedia page has a bunch of references to like how the different themes apply that we're not capable of discussing on this podcast but <laughs> maybe a smart podcast will cover it one day <laughs> i forgot did we mention at the beginning whenever he's testing the serum on rats one of the first things that happens in the movie is he injects a rat with the serum the rat hulks up turns white and then proceeds to cannibalize all the other rats and then he spends the next 20 minutes of the movie going ah there's just no accurate way to judge the side effects without human testing <laughs> and it's like ah it turned white and murdered all the other rats mm, yeah but that's that's rat biology <laughs> it, uh, when he says to you there's no way to know what the side effects will be it's like so that was the intended impact then you wanted that rat to eat the other rats. All right. That doesn't seem right, but maybe we're not scientists. We don't know. Thanks for calling the Midnight Drive-In. No one is here to take your call. For more info, check out the Midnight Drive-In on Twitter at MN Drive-In Pod or find us on Facebook. If you want to email us, send it to the Midnight Drive-In at gmail.com. Remember, no outside food and drink. Anyone caught performing sexual acts at the drive-in will immediately be taken to the office. Unspeakable things will be done to you. Thanks for calling. Uh, no listener mail this week. 
Boom. But uh, did anybody watch anything since the last week? Uh, I did. I watched a couple things. Because I was like, I got I gots to get more of this. So uh, I didn't watch Scream Black, You'll Scream, because that's on the list. So instead, I watched uh, Vampire in Brooklyn, <laughs> the next best thing. Eddie, Eddie Murphy in a, a black exploitation vampire movie. I like it. I know a lot of people don't. I just, I don't think it's that bad. I don't get why it gets as much hate as it gets. I love how you can describe a movie as, I, I like it, and I don't think it's that bad, in the same sentence, as if this, those two things are supposed to be the same. Well, like, it it has problems with it, but I don't, I don't think that a movie not being a perfect movie makes it a bad movie. Yeah, that's fine. Like, this is irrational. But yeah, so I rewatched that. Uh, everybody should watch that at least once. If you don't like it, that's fine. You don't got to watch it twice. So I've never seen it before. Yeah, I don't think I've ever seen it, but I think it's mainly because of its reputation. Yeah. It it flopped real, real bad. I think it was in the theaters for all of like a week. Yeah. It, it did not do good. It's sort of at the beginning of like Eddie Murphy's like terrible, terrible movie phase two right which is still going on well ex- except this one doesn't get the same excuse so most of his terrible movie phase is like after his children were old enough that he said i'm gonna start doing family movies because i don't want to be eddie murphy while my kids are growing up and and this was him going i want to be a serious actor and everybody was like no <laughs> no eddie murphy no yeah i, don't yeah, know. I, I can't comment because i haven't seen it but I mean, part of why I haven't seen it is because Eddie Murphy wasn't good in things after, like, 88 or so. I don't... um, My thing with Eddie Murphy is I don't think Eddie Murphy is a good actor at at all. And so I think that Eddie Murphy is good in things where he's being Eddie Murphy. So, like, Beverly Hills Cop is Eddie Murphy being Eddie Murphy as a cop. Yeah, that's true. Rob Bowfinger. Oh, Bowfinger was actually pretty good. Uh, I, I don't. I know I watched that. I don't remember a single thing about it. Yeah, it's been a long time. But yeah, well, yeah, it's one of the few Wes Craven movies I've never watched. What about Doctor Doolittle? Shut up. Uh, <laughs> uh, and then I watched. Uh, why is my brain not working? The the Snoop Dogg horror movie. Bones. Bones. Thank you. With, with the Z. I kept I kept trying to say uh, uh, Tales from the Hood, and I was like, "That's that's a different movie." Why do I keep trying to say Tales? From came the Hood? came out about the same time. Yeah, well, I remember. It's, it's all right. So I've heard it's pretty good, but I've it's, never watched it. It's it's perfectly fine for what it is. I kind of get why it didn't end up coming out on top because Tales from the Hood is probably superior to it in a few ways, but but in general it's alright. You get to see Snoop Dogg turn into a dog. <laughs> really? Can't you see that in his music video? Isn't he Snoop Lion now? Does he have to update all these past projects? Uh, Go there, George, he... George Lucas style and have himself turn into a different animal? I think he's back to Snoop Dogg again. Is I, he? Don't, I don't know how that works. Uh, that guy smokes too much fucking weed. <laughs> it's like... <laughs> I it was Good just this week. Uh, and then the last thing I watched was uh, Still Laugh-In, which is kind of like a 
Netflix celebration of the old yeah. TV show. It's in my queue. Yeah. And I feel like uh, it was funny and interesting, and those people all need to get their fucking heads out of their asses. <laughs> okay. Because, right? well, they took it. It's supposed to be a celebration of Laugh-In, and instead it's an hour-long protest of Donald Trump, which which is fine. I mean, you can make Trump jokes all you want. It's just they go way out of their way to, like, tell you. You know what I mean? They're like, no, fuck Donald Trump. Seriously, fuck, fuck him. Also, Laugh-In is pretty funny, but fuck Donald Trump first and foremost. Yeah, but didn't Laugh-In do that to Nixon a lot? They did, and I think that was part of the point. Mm-hmm. But but Laughing did it in like a funny comedy way, oh. and I feel like they got real preachy several several times. Where it was to, to the point of I even agree with the thing they're being preachy about, and even I was like, okay, you need to tone it the fuck down because yeah. you're ruining my my attempted enjoyment of funny people. Maybe they uh, maybe it was less noticeable on the show because, of course, it's spread out over years instead of cramming it all into an hour. Yeah, something I don't I don't know. Like I said, yeah, I just occasionally they get to, it gets to the point where you're like, okay, shut the fuck up. Yeah, that's well, that's one of the worst things about Donald Trump is that you know I don't know if it's one of the worst things, but one of the bad things about Donald Trump is that it really ruins a lot of other things that you're trying to enjoy because somehow he makes his way into it yeah. you're just like it's, it can be very frustrating yeah he's like a sleazy fucking plague that's everywhere mm-hmm. uh, and now our listeners are at home going oh, fuck I just wanted to hear these assholes <laughs> talk about a movie and, and maybe be accidentally racist and now I gotta listen to him talking about Trump so you've done what, that. what, what the show did to you Noah <laughs> man <laughs> and that was it that's a, that's a lot what about you, Doug? Uh, yeah, I got some stuff here. Um, first thing is, remember, like, several months ago when I watched The Stepfather and I said, I'm definitely going to watch all the sequels? Yeah. I finally watched one of them. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I watched uh, part two. And uh, I liked it. Um, it's basically the same plot as the first one, except they have to have a scene at the beginning where the... Uh, Terry Quinn character escapes from the mental institution that he's in as a result of the uh, events of the first movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's basically just he uh, he gets out. He's you, you've talked about this in the show before, right, Brian? You yeah. watched the whole trilogy one weekend or something. Uh, I still have not jumped into part three okay. because Terry Quinn is not in it. So yeah. That- Automatically takes its interest level down for me. That's what happened here. So, but yeah, I mean, this one has Terry O'Quinn. It has Jonathan Brandis in it. So, yeah, there you go. Right. Yeah. Um, and actually, when I looked up the director, he's got like he's done a bunch of like weird. Like he did like one of the Pumpkinhead sequels and a bunch of other stuff like that, where it's like, oh, they let you do the direct video sequels to horror movies. Okay, you're that guy. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, the movie's just yeah. He gets out. He sets up shop in a new town and he's going to seduce the lady that lives across the street. Her kid is Jonathan Brandis. Um, and eventually everybody figures it out. He has to kill some people. 
at the end you think he's killed but he's probably not because there's a part three um so i don't I, th I think a lot of the movie relies heavily on terry o'quinn's performance which is why yeah. i wanted to watch part three mm -hmm. he's he's really good at playing this level of sleaze where he's just it's just just subdued enough it's just like kind of just under the underneath the uh, surface. He's like scummy, and you know something's weird about him, even though he's acting perfect. And he, he kind of reminds me. Like, I feel like everybody knows people like that in their neighborhood, like that one neighbor that always says hi to you every day and is super polite. And it's like, ah, you've got bodies buried somewhere. I don't trust you. <laughs> you're trying too hard to be nice. Mm. So yeah, it, it's a recommend for me if you're a fan of that type of movie. Um, mm where it's sort of a slow burn. It's a lot of like just him acting acting nice, but then kind of winking to the camera, letting us, as the audience, all know that he's the I, I enjoy that from time to time. It's kind of... It's, I think it's a little bloodier than the first one, if I remember correctly, but it's been a while since I watched the first one. So, And it was mm -hmm. just getting later into the 80s, so as they move forward, things just had to get bloodier. That's how it worked. <laughs> Yeah, I still don't watch the third one. I do know that supposedly at the beginning we see him get plastic surgery, so that's why he looks different in the movie. Oh, okay. That's um, good. That's good. Yeah, I don't know. I kind of like that, though. At least, get, at least there's a reason there. And we do see, like, in 2, he does get, like, a hairpiece so that he can get... Uh, that's there's there's a couple of moments in two that I like. I like that he put on a hairpiece so he'd look different. I like that when he had to escape his mental institution, they show him like plucking his own hairs from his head, and he uh, he then makes a fake mustache so he can dress up as the guard whose new uniform he steals. <laughs> that, that was just hilarious. <laughs> They'll never know. The uh, the third scene I loved was when he's he's going to dispose of one of the bodies, and the guy drives like a really distinctive car, so he like throws the guy's body in the trunk of his own car and takes it to a like a I don't know what you get like a junkyard and he just drives it around and like smashes it into a bunch of shit so that it looks like one of the broken up cars and then he just walks home and the next day you see the car getting crushed and I'm like that's funny I don't think it would work quite that way like somebody would pick it up on the fact they don't think they crush cars until they have a pretty good idea of where that car came from generally speaking but I don't know. Maybe I don't know as much about the car crushing industry as I think I do. <laughs> yeah, I mean, according to the movies, it should be pretty self-explanatory. Yeah, and they can do it real quick, according to this one documentary I saw called Vacation. They can do it, like, in the time it takes for you to pick up your new car, so. Um, what else did I watch? Oh, I watched a movie called uh, Perfect Bid. Have you guys heard about this one? Uh, I've seen it on Netflix. Passed yeah. over it a couple times. So it's it's a story about a guy who basically watched so much The Price Is Right that he started to memorize the products, um, and was able to like nail the like whatever like the guesses of what some cost every time down to like the dollar. Mm -hmm. And he, he got on the show once and he made a perfect bid, but then he, which was like a big deal, and then he lost in like the or the spinny wheel thing is to move on to the showcase. Mm -hmm. But then I caught, like, he went to, like, he would go to tapings, like, all the time, and he would yell out answers, and eventually people started listening to him so that they would be able to do their perfect bids. So he's responsible for, like, several perfect bids, including, like, one where the guy won, like, both showcases. Yeah, they had to, uh, they completely changed the way they do the prices on stuff because of him. 
yeah and it's so it's yeah they, they they even said like at one point they started like putting different options on the vehicles if they reused the same vehicle that they were giving away so that this guy wouldn't be able to just show up and tell people what it cost to the dollar which is kind of fun but mostly what the documentary ends up being is just this love letter to the prices right and you're just like i don't know about you guys but when i was a kid every time you were sick it was like this was the highlight of your day it was from 11 to 12 laying <laughs> on the couch whoever was watching you would make you some soup because it was lunchtime and you get to watch the prices right i always loved it when i was a kid and i feel like everybody else I feel has that same thing, and I don't know. I don't know if it applies to you guys or not, but yeah, it was legitimately one of my brother's favorite shows. Yeah, and he would like shut shit down to watch The Price Is Right. <laughs> it's super weird to me because it's a show that's on weekdays while everybody is supposed to be at work, and I don't really understand how everybody seems to have like a love for it. <laughs> this is one of those like the only so explanation. What's that? Summertime. Yeah, I guess. But in the summertime, I, I don't think I watched it because as a child, I would go outside in the summertime. Um, so I, I don't know. But I, yeah, I, 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 it just felt nice to watch this little thing. And I'm sure it really did kind of skip over some of the negative elements that are associated with the show and stuff. And even like if you're watching and you're paying attention to this documentary too close, the guy's like talking about how like to get into the studio audience you kind of like show up and you just kind of have to be in line and hope you get in there's not really a ticket system and sometimes you just don't get in and then he later he's talking about how when he'd be in line it'd be like the guy that was giving out like the name tags would know him and know some of the other people and it's like oh so there's like a bunch of losers that show up like twice a week and then sometimes they don't even get to go inside they just have to leave that's kind of not great like that's <laughs> i kind of feel bad for those people like the ones who don't get a documentary made about them are just people who spend way too much of their lives worried about this but i don't know i i tried not to think about it in that kind of way i think it's not as uh, it's not as fun that way um so i don't know what did i watch next does anybody know <laughs> <laughs> Do you not have your Instagram pulled up? I'm in the process of checking it. I'm trying to make small talk so that I have a chance to call it up. Um, might as well touch on it. Game of Thrones ended. The whole world is the whole world is in one of two states. Everyone is or three states. There's you're proud of yourself for never watching it. There's you're angry as hell about the ending, or there's you're mad at the people who are mad about the ending. <laughs> Those are the only three states of being on the internet right now. Um, and yeah, I, I mean, I think I've made comments before about how everything in the show is super rushed and unearned, and the, the finale of the show is the definition of that. It's not the plot points that are the problem, it's the fact that the plot points just seem to happen out of nowhere, and they don't have time to explain what's going on because they decided to make it in way too much story in way too short a period of time. But, you know, most of the ending became pretty predictable anyway, so... Um, that's a bummer yeah. people. it is I, like I won't spend too much time on it because I know you guys don't watch it but it is a show that like in, in my opinion in the opinion of many many other people was absolutely great for a long time and then this last little bit has just been like it feels like 
it feels like the writers decided we're done with this and somebody's like well you're not done your story you got to finish your story and they're like fine uh then this guy goes over there and this guy goes over there and that guy kills the dragon and that guy goes over there and we're done and it's like well wait a minute you, what you just said if we'd been telling this story two years ago would have been you know 12 hours worth of television and you're trying to fit all of that into two or three and it's like yeah but we're not coming back for another season so figure out how to fit it in your two or three <laughs> it's like oh all right well that's unfortunate because hmm. uh, i really don't yeah again not not so much the the way the plot played out that i have a problem with but it's just you know I, characters are being killed off that we've been following for eight years and you're like maybe have a little bit of lead up to that scene you know <laughs> maybe have a when when people are deciding whether to kill that guy maybe there should be more than one conversation between when uh when they when they're you know friends and when they decide to kill him i don't know it's just, just but in a show in a book series that's famous for randomly killing off main characters at any given time. Everyone's upset that they randomly killed off main characters at some random time. It's different. No. Because, same. No, no same. it's not. just it's just the end, so you don't have right. more stuff coming after it. You haven't you haven't watched it because it's not it doesn't feel random nor does it feel it doesn't feel random nor does it feel earned. Do you know what I mean? Like part of part of what made those killings early on great was that they were the kickoff to something else. Well, this isn't the kickoff to something else, so they you can't earn the deaths after the fact. And like okay, so I'll give you for an example. There's a character in the show Arya. I know you guys you you guys know who she is, even though you don't watch the show. <laughs> Way back in like I don't know season three or something, she put together a list of all the people who had wronged her in her life and she was gonna go kill them. problem with that being she was like a little kid so she had to like go off and get all her training and everything and now she's come back she's super badass she's you know done tons of she's been killing off the people on her list for quite some time now and we basically see her at the end of i think the second to last episode we see her like, okay, I'm going to... No, it wasn't the, I guess it was the, the uh, third to last episode. She, she gets on a horse, and her and a, a friend of hers from that spent a lot of time together in like season two are riding towards the last person on her list, and we're going to go get her now. Okay. And then they get all the way there, which in the past we've been told it's like a month-long horseback ride. <laughs> they go into a city that's currently in a battle, they get to the building where this person is and then her friend looks at her and goes you probably shouldn't kill anyone and she goes all right and she leaves and it's like well what the fuck like if if you wanted to have her change her mind about killing this person who she's been planning to kill for years these two characters had a month-long horseback ride beside each other. You could have had a bunch of multiple conversations that led up to this moment where her mind changed or something rather than just having it be this like two-second conversation that completely changes something we've all been expecting for the whole show. Do you see what I'm saying? And a lot of like the deaths felt that way too, where it's like, okay, this person completely turned their back on this other character. Well, well why? 
Like, and, you know, earn that moment. Don't just have it happen. It was again. because of the incest. They were angry about the incest. Uh, no, you know what? Shockingly few people angry about the incest in this show. <laughs> when push comes to shove, a lot of the incest comes to light by the end of the show. And everyone seems fine with it. No, no, I mean one of the characters killing one of the other characters. <laughs> Probably obsessed, said about the incest between the two of them. I do not think there are any examples of a character being killed because of incest. Oh, there no. are definitely I'm, not, I'm not saying overtly, but I'm saying it's a contributing factor to why. Ignore Doug. Disagree. Disagree. Having seen the show, I, <laughs> I feel I'm slightly more qualified to comment on it. Sometimes you plow your ant. Sometimes it happens. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway. Anyways. Anyways, that's my comments on that. It, the comments probably make no sense and, because I have no one who's watched the show to talk to about it. But there you go. I mean, I felt that way about characters being killed off seemingly for no reason on The Walking Dead. Yeah. So I can, uh, I can feel where you're putting that. So, um, what else did I watch? Oh, you know what I did go see was that new movie with Seth Rogen and Charlie Theron in it. Mm-hmm. And that movie's not good, if you guys are wondering. <laughs> no? No. Oh, I had like a 94% Rotten Tomatoes score. I was shocked. Because yeah, people are stupid. Okay, so I'll just put it this way. Either that was a romantic comedy movie, and then they cast Seth Rogen, and they're like, let's add all those like dirty Seth Rogen-y type jokes to mm-hmm. it. Or it was like a Seth Rogen movie, and then somebody was like, well, if you want to make this, we got to make it a little bit more of like a mainstream romantic comedy movie. And then they tried to mash those two things together. And it's just like, it's just a tonal mess. Because there's certain scenes where it's one kind of movie and certain scenes where it's another kind of movie altogether. And I I don't know whose fault that is. I don't think it's the actor's fault. I think they're all fine. So I think it's somebody in the directing and probably studio heads that are sticking their nose in trying to make it seem more like a traditional movie. But I don't know. That... And like, it did have one joke in it that I thought was absolutely great that I bet you most people didn't get, which is that like, so the whole movie is like, Charlie's Theron character is running for president, Seth Rogen's character is her like speechwriter guy, and then they have a romance together. And he's at one point he's sitting down explaining to her that she should make like all these pop culture references in her speeches because people really start to enjoy it if you make references to things that they like or that they that they grew up with and all this and then like literally like one scene later there's like these moments where they're spending time together and he starts convincing her to watch like the marvel cinematic universe and there's actually scenes of them like sitting down to watch winter soldier together and stuff and i'm sitting here going oh you clever bastards this is like a great meta joke that you've woven into your movie and nobody else in this theater is getting it right now like you're just you just told us that you're doing this specifically to make us like your movie more and now you're doing it to us and everybody else here is falling for it and i loved it i thought that was really clever and funny and i only assume they did it on purpose but i guarantee you like most of the people who enjoyed this movie did not pick up on the fact that the movie was like, you know, if we made pop culture references, you'd like this a lot more. Now here are some pop culture references. (laughs) (laughs) I thought that was very funny. But then, yeah, the rest of the movie is just like a bit of a joke. Um, So yeah, I don't know. I don't even know why I bothered bringing that one up. It doesn't really suit our podcast. (laughs) 
But you know, normally because I do like like the the Seth Rogen movies, like mm-hmm. his typical movie where he plays himself and he's in some wacky situation surrounded by his wacky friends. I generally like them. So that's why I was willing to see this one. That and the fact that he and uh, Charlie Theron went on How Did This Get Made and did a guest appearance on there, and I thought she was actually really funny on it. They were discussing Prom Night 2. <laughs> Probably one of the funniest things I ever saw uh, Charlie Theron do was uh, she hosted SNL like way back. I say way back in the day, but uh, you'll understand what I'm talking about. So during her monologue, Tracy Morgan came out, and they both started talking about all the fact that they're actually, because she's from South Africa, so that technically makes her an African-American. Okay. <laughs> so then she just started copying to like all these like African-American stereotypes that she totally does them to, and it was, it was probably one of the funniest damn things ever. That actually sounds really funny. <laughs> I was probably I don't I don't know that much about her, but I was like kind of surprised listening to her on a podcast and then watching her in this movie. Like, oh, you do that kind of humor, do you? Like, I didn't see that coming. <laughs> I always thought she took herself a little more seriously. I don't know. Anyways, um, yeah, I don't know. I, again, I don't know why we're talking about that. The other movie I watched, which we should be talking about in this podcast, <laughs> was the Slumber Party Massacre, which I hadn't seen in a while and. I stumbled across it online and went, oh, yeah. Yeah, I want to see that guy do some people. I forgot how much I love that movie. It's so good. I love the story behind that movie, too. The fact that it was written as a parody of slasher films. And from my understanding is that basically they were like, well, we don't want to do a parody. Just do it as a straightforward slasher film. And then they just used the same script. Because a parody of a slasher film and a slasher film are the exact same thing. <laughs> and it's, it is just the quintessential definition of a slash. Is it reasonable yeah. to assume you guys have seen it? Yeah. yeah. Like for people who haven't, it is literally just the opening moments of the film are like radio reports of a guy breaking out of a mental institution. Then a group of teenagers get together in a house to party, and then the guy shows up with his drill, and that is all that happens in this fucking movie. <laughs> and it's just, it's really, really fun to watch. I can't really explain why, because it's not like I can't sit here and say, oh, the acting's great. No, it's not. I can't sit here and say, like, the kills are the best ones ever put to screen. No, some of them are good, but they're not. It's just it's just super fun overall. So, I don't know. I may end up watching the sequels to that one now. But you saw how long it took me to get to Stepfather 2, so. <laughs> Did you ever see House on Sorority Row 2? Is that the one that uses clips from Slumber Party Massacre yeah. as flashbacks? Yeah, they're explaining how... Yeah, they, how somebody killed somebody in the house they're staying in, and they just yeah use clips from Slumber Party Massacre to uh, to explain it by explaining stuff that completely did not happen to Slumber Party Massacre. Yeah, because I remember watching. I'd be like, "Oh my god, is this like, is this pre Marvel Cinematic Universe? Are they combining the universes of Slumber Party <laughs> Massacre and House of Sorority Row too?" But, nope. They just use the footage to explain whatever they need to explain horribly. Ah, uh, the 80s. <laughs> it was, I think that was literally just like, you know, 
it was before people understood the concept of rewatching movies over and over again at home. And it was just like, how many people who are renting this movie will have even seen that other movie? Or if they have, would remember it specifically enough to know that we're reusing the scenes. Probably get away with it. It's fascinating. But I have such a love for those like 80s slashers that I just, every time I watch one, I'm just happy for like a day. Which is kind of a miracle for me to be happy for like a day. Ouch. Because <laughs> normally I have to watch the movies that Noah picks and then I get upset. Do <laughs> uh, uh, you watch anything else? No, that's all I had this week. Alright. What about you? Did you watch something? Uh, I have two movies. Um, first, I went and saw John Wick Chapter 3. Parabellum, okay. which I think it's stupid. They put a subtitle on this movie, but whatever. Then, the good news is, while they were making three, they promised that this was going to be the last one because they didn't want it to drag out and uh, you know ruin the franchise. And then it came out in two hours after the movie release. They announced that they're making part four. Yeah, yeah, which makes sense if you watch it. Because <laughs> I'm just like, okay, this obviously is not the last one. So, yeah. So part of three t- picks up exactly where part two ended which is John Wick on the run, knowing that he's going to be excommunicado within the hour. And then, uh, yeah, basically all hell breaks loose. Like his contract goes out and uh, assassins start coming for him. So it's pretty much just John Wick versus the world for like the first half of the movie, uh, which was very entertaining. Um, I was happy to see Mark Dacascus from like... Every martial arts movie in the 90s. And didn't he play the crow in the television series, The Crow? He did. Uh, and probably most people nowadays know him as the guy from Iron Chef who unveils all the secret ingredients. Iron Chef America, sir. No, sorry. I, I do not know him from that, and I will not be ever watching that show because I do not want to know him as that. I only know him from uh, The Soup because you know, they used to play clips from that all the time. Oh, yeah. But, uh, yeah. Uh, but he's sort of like, uh, he's not like the main bad guy, but he's like the big, he's a big boss battle for John Wick at some point. And it literally is set up that way, where he has to work through a bunch of people to get up to this guy. And then, of course, they have the big ball-to-the-wall like fight scene, uh, which was awesome. Yeah. I was just happy to see that dude get like in a big mainstream movie because I've just, you know like we've seen him in shit ton of stuff since the nineties. Nobody really knows who he is except for hardcore film, action martial arts movie nerds like us. Yeah. <clears throat> um. Yeah, I mean the movie's about on on par with I guess uh, part two. Um, okay. It's good. I enjoyed it. It's got some amazing action set pieces. There's a couple of ridiculous parts that I'm just like, well, this is stupid. But it kind of gets itself back on the rails at least a little bit. And then, uh, yeah, as we said, ends in a way where you're like, this isn't the last one like they said. <laughs> I think they've already even got a release date out for the other one, so they must have not. Uh, they must have had a script ready. Oh yeah. Well, they were. They had it ready just to see what that opening weekend was going to be. As soon as it was good, they're like, yep, 2021. Yeah. So but, basically, the impression I'm getting is if you're a fan of 
first two, you'll like the third one. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's all I need. Yeah, and uh, like Amanda, me and Amanda just rewatched. She had, she'd never seen the second one, and hadn't seen the first one in like forever. So we had just you know rewatched them last week or a couple weeks ago, and so she was psyched for this movie. And we went and watched it, and yeah, she enjoyed it. So I mean, it's you know, if you're a John Wick fan, you'll enjoy it. You got to get to that one one day. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to go too far into it because there's lots of crazy spoilery shit that goes on in. Yeah, but does any of it really matter, or are we just there to watch them kick people and stuff? No, I mean, there's some plot stuff that, you know, happens to certain characters, and you're just like, oh, fuck, and then, you know, that'll come back around, like, later on in the movie. Um, so the other thing I watched is a movie called Black Moon Rising, starring Tommy Lee Jones, Linda Hamilton, with a script written by John Carpenter, where... They have to steal an experimental supercar from an evil corporation. Like, literally break into the building and steal it. I don't like the tone of your voice in describing this. Because I feel like you're describing something awesome, but you're about to tell me it's not good. Um, I'll say it's half true. Because <laughs> uh, all that sounds, like, super awesome. And then it starts off pretty good. Tom Lee Jones is, like, a thief. Uh, we see him breaking into some building, some office, and he, uh, you know, steals this, uh, people our age may remember, like, they used to record some computer stuff on, like, cassette tapes. Yeah. It was a very weird scenario. So he breaks in to steal these cassette tapes that are labeled, like, accounting or whatever. Um, immediately finds out that the head of security of this building is another person who essentially was also a thief and Tommy Lee Jones knows him and is not happy because this means he'll know where to go to look for uh, when Tommy Lee Jones tries to turn this information in and he has all the same connections as Tommy Lee Jones so he's like super pissed so he gets out of there uh, meanwhile, these people are, these other guys are building like this experimental, like rocket car. Um, this very futuristic looking, you know, it shows footage of them going like 300 miles an hour on, out on the old, uh, salt flats outside of Las Vegas. Uh, and they're, they end up at the same gas station. And so Tommy Lee Jones knows they're going to come looking for him. So he hides this cassette tape in this weird pocket where the license plate should be of this experimental supercar. <sighs> it's convoluted for the first 10 minutes. Um, and then he knows they're going to L.A. and he'll know where the car will be, so he figures, I'll just go and grab this cassette tape and it'll all be good. Um, of course, he shows up at this premiere where this car's at, and then suddenly Linda Hamilton with a bunch of like henchmen show up and steal all the cars out of the parking lot, which is like BMWs and like super expensive cars. And of course, they take this experimental supercar, gets locked up in uh, this office building with uh, Robert Vaughn, plays like the super rich guy who hires, at some point has hired her, and she's been his sort of expert thief ever since. He doesn't know what to do with this experimental car, so they just lock it up in this um, 
like caged in area in the in the parking deck. And then of course he ends up sort of turning on little Hamilton a little bit. So then she gets pissed. And then Tommy Lee Jones is stalking her to figure out how he can get this car back since she stole it. It's got his info in it. And of course it all culminates with, oh, we need to team up to pull a heist to steal this car out of this building. And then, you know, shit of course does not work the way it's supposed to, so everything goes crazy. Um the movies enjoy it. The problem is it drags in the middle a little bit. Um, because they're sort of like setting the heist up and that stuff is not as interesting as it should be. But when the heist stuff starts going into the play, like I think it like becomes pretty good and I really enjoyed it. Um but all the middle stuff is kinda of, yeah. Uh yeah, I mean to recommend if you're looking for a cheesy 80s action weirdo experimental supercar heisty type movie. <laughs> if you're in that mood, that very, very specific yeah. mood. Here's a brief glimpse of some of the truly fine pictures we've scheduled in the near future. Well, Doug, what are we watching next week? This is a surprise to even me and Noah. This is because I refuse to decide beforehand. So, because once I, it's like at a restaurant, you never order first. You let the other orders. You get that extra thirty seconds to change your mind about what you want. Um, <laughs> what did I settle on? That's a real question. Um, I don't even think Doug knows. I think next week we're going to do because uh, I watched the thing last week, right? So, mm-hmm. like, I'm really into wanting to watch some practical effects right now. So, we're gonna do. Uh, Night of the Lepus and Food of the Gods. Those are two movies where they have the brilliant idea to use miniatures and have normal-sized animals stomp on them to make it look like there are giant animals. <laughs> <laughs> That's the kind of thing I can get behind. So, uh, was it giant rats and giant rabbits? Yep. Nice. I've never seen the giant rabbits movie. I've never seen either one of them. So, Food of the Gods I've seen, but it's been a while. Night of the Lepus, I've never seen. Um, Night of the Lepus, I saw several times on USA Up All Night. <laughs> that seems like a good movie for uh, for Up All Night. So, we'll uh, yeah, we'll we'll know next week whether it's a good movie or not. But giant rabbits. So it is kind of weird thinking how giant rabbits could be scary. I don't know. I had a bit of a run-in with a rabbit this week, and it. It's a little bit awkward, so maybe that's why I want to watch a horror movie about them. <laughs> Did you kill one? And now you're like, well, I, w- I need to watch a movie where they're the villains, so I feel better about myself. No, I, I was like, I cut down a tree on my property, and like a rabbit showed up out of nowhere, and it hopped over to where the tree was, and it stood there for a while, and then it like hopped over to me where I was sitting and stared at me like I was some kind of an asshole. So I assume it had like a friend that lived in that tree or something. I don't know. It was just like, where'd the tree go, dickhead? We used that. And then it just just stared at me for a minute and then hopped away. And I'm like, fuck you, rabbit. It's my house. I can cut down what I want. <laughs> uh, Doug showing nature who's boss. Uh, oh, one thing we kind of forgot to talk about. The new uh, Terminator trailer is out. I haven't watched it. Do you want to watch it real quick? Not really. Okay. 
then we'll just talk about it. Yeah, I was gonna say pretty much all of the Terminator stuff since Terminator Two has been shitty. So I just I have no fucking interest anymore. But this is a direct sequel to Terminator Two. Yeah, I don't give a fuck. If it comes so, out and people say it's good, maybe I'll go see it. But until then, James Cameron specifically uh, says in this thing, like, James James Cameron can eat a dick. I don't, <laughs> I don't fucking care. <laughs> so what do you think, Doug? Well. Uh, where I'm confused is like, and you may have just clarified it. Where you're saying this is a direct sequel to T2, mm-hmm. so they're ignore. Okay, and that's what I didn't understand. Is like, right, is yeah. this where in the timeline does this fall? And yeah, what counts and what doesn't. So knowing that, uh, I, I'm, I mean, I'm still confused as to what the hell is going on in this movie. There's two Terminators fighting, and Linda Hamilton shows up to help one of them, and then yeah. Arnold's there too. So how is he there too? Is he a Terminator or is he playing the designer yeah. of the Terminators or something? I don't know. Yeah, they're not good. I mean, it's the first trailer, so I mean, I guess they yeah. shouldn't lay out everything in the first trailer, but they... Uh, maybe he's playing the guy that the Terminators are designed off of. That's yeah. what I was thinking, maybe. And that's always been like the like when the last Terminator came out, they were like, Oh, he's got gray hairs. He like the guy who made the Terminators. Um, yeah, I don't know. Don't know. They basically are just. See, I like to believe the Terminator Genesis came out, and since they're fucking up with the timeline anyway, by going back to the first one and changing the shit, and then yeah, jumping, yeah, that they somehow made it so Sarah Connor never gets cancer and dies. So that makes it so Terminator 3 never happens. And now, uh, yeah, they just basically fixed everything. And we can just ignore everything after the second one. Yeah, I don't know. I, I think we can ignore everything regardless. <laughs> like, that, the Terminator franchise, and I've talked about this before, that first movie I think is great. Yeah. But it doesn't technically make any sense because it has a time paradox in it, which yeah. is fine. Time travel movies have time paradoxes in them, and that's okay. We can just do that. But then... Like, already in part two, we're like, that kid is not aging at the normal rate of a human being. And there's a huge tonal shift from the first one. And it feels like a movie out of a completely different franchise. And you're like, all right, but it's fun, though, so the hell with it. And then three is what it is. I don't hate it as much as other people, but it's certainly not a great masterpiece or anything. It certainly doesn't do anything to track. And then after that, they're just like, whatever. They're like, yeah, let's throw some shit at the wall and see if it sticks. They're like, here's John Connor. He's in a submarine now and you're like why is he in a submarine what and then you're just like is that a transformer in this movie and they're like that's no we're going back to the way we used to do it see because we're going to do this cool like thing where we recreate the sequences from the first movie and you're like oh that is interesting and then the Terminators like turns into these weird this weird like cyber thing and you're like no don't don't do that what do you <laughs> just just make the Terminator fight the other Terminator just do that <laughs> It's like, oh, it doesn't seem like it should be that hard, but no, it it, it seems like they overthink it every time. And so mm-hmm. I don't know what's going to happen now if they're going to do that again. It doesn't feel like it's been long enough since Genesis to just expect us to forget it happened. But mm-hmm. whatever. Yeah. I also love, yeah, like you said, they tried something like with Genesis and it's like, well, that obviously didn't work. Eh, fuck it. They, so there'll, there'll never be an explanation to the end of that cliffhanger, cliffhanger of a movie. Nope. 
We're just like, eh, fuck it. We're just, it eh, never happened. The thing is, like, you expect that to happen with, like, direct DVD series or something. Like, that's, yeah. you know, I mean, that would happen in, like, the 90s where you're like, oh, I just have to get used to the fact that a different actor's playing that character because they have a $7 budget and, you, can't, you know, they just couldn't get that guy back or whatever. And it's like, but this is a major franchise that has made, like, I don't know how much money in the box office. And they're just doing it. They're just like, ah, it didn't work. Let's try a different one. Whatever. Remember when there was a TV series? Nah, forget it. Who cares? It's all right. Yeah, it doesn't matter. <laughs> so, yeah. So there's no explanation for why Arnold's old now. Um, I mean, yeah. maybe, maybe they're using that thing from Genesis where he, his the Terminator goes back in time and then just lives out of life. Seems kind of weird, but it, it's weird because first of all, if you're doing that again, that's weird. <laughs> um. But it's also one of those like, like when is this movie set? And if he's that age, he has to have come back post Terminator Two and then aged, and it's it's all fucked up. Yeah, but we'll see. I mean, it might end up being good. Some of the action looks decent in the trailer. Yeah, I'm interested because now that well, they have a bad Terminator that looks like he can sort of clone himself, like split off into two Terminators. Yeah, or something. I wasn't like I wasn't sure exactly what was happening there, but it was an interesting new twist. Yeah. Not sure they should have given that away in the trailer, but Yeah, that is kinda of weird. I don't know. Like even having Arnold in it, like I don't think I would have given that away in the trailer. You mm. got the Sarah Connor factor, you've got yeah. her back, so just go with that. Yeah, Linda Hamilton. I'm excited to see back, but man, she's looking old. Well she's the I mean, she is old. Yeah, not that she's she should. Like, yeah, she's in great shape for a woman of her age. Hmm. She's just... I mean, the last time we've actually seen her was Terminator 2, so I mean, that's like fucking ripped arms and yeah, just a complete badass, so it just seems weird to see her as an old woman now. Yeah. But then you factor in that Terminator 2 was like... Oh, yeah. Whatever years ago. 92? Terminator 2 came out? 91? Something like that. So, yeah. You guys, you guys want to talk about the more important trailer? Which one's that? The trailer for Picard, the new Star Trek series. Oh, yeah. I didn't even know they put out a trailer. They did. I knew they put out a trailer, and I it doesn't say it. it doesn't say much. All all it really shows is that Picard is like running a wine vineyard or something, and the over narration insinuates that something bad happened and he quit uh, starting. So this whole, I want the whole new series to just be him like dealing with the customers. Every now and again someone has too much to drink and he has to, the bouncer escort them out. Uh, I'll tell you what, I would watch the shit out of that shit. The, the only way I would watch that is if they also cast Ian McKellen and made it the documentary about them running a vineyard together. Outstanding. Just a remake of the movie Sideways, with yeah. yeah, just from a different point of view, right? If they go into the vineyard and those are the guys running it, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that all makes sense to me. Because if you follow either one of them on social media, they're like besties. They do all kinds of crazy shit together. <laughs> Someone's even like, do they just live together now? Because they're always posting pictures together of them out on old man adventures together. <laughs> I didn't even know old men like to have adventures. That's nice. 
Uh, what about uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? Anybody watch the new trailer for that? Yeah, it actually looks really good. It does look good. It looks interesting. It seems like it's like, for all the hype that's been made about the fact that it's connected to the Manson murders and that, it doesn't seem like that's a primary plot point. No. So. I feel like that's kind of like almost like a B story going on. Yeah. If interested, uh, people have been speculating. Kurt Russell's character. They say that he, maybe he's like Stuntman Mike's older brother, I guess. But I don't know. Seems a little old to be his older brother. That also seems like people are just making that up with no basis in reality whatsoever because they want all the movies to be connected. Well, yeah, of course. Um, did not know Luke Perry was in this movie. It will sadly be his last movie. Just kind of a yeah. bummer. Uh, Margo Robbie seems pretty good for playing Sharon Tate. See, she's like, like a, she's one of those chicks that's like a good actress. Yeah. And people just like think of her only as, you know, Harley Quinn. But yeah, she's she's good. Like she be. I prefer to think of her from that nude scene from. Uh... The Wall Street movie. I can't even remember the rest of the fucking movie. Wolf of Wall Street? You know, the one with Leonardo, Doug, whatever the fuck, and yeah. Matthew McConaughey. And I like, I like it. You can remember nothing, but you're like, I have the nude scene. I can replay that back in my brain at any given time. <laughs> yeah, it was a stupid fucking movie, but she looks pretty good naked. Spend, spend the whole fucking episode trying not to be racist, and no, it just comes in at the end with some hardcore sexism, man. <laughs> <sighs> I don't think that's sexist. I'd rather remember her that way than from a shitty movie she was in. I didn't think the movie was that bad. I did see a meme, though, that said that uh, Leonardo DiCaprio should have got an Oscar from that scene where he's all messed up on drugs and has to crawl down to his car. <laughs> I'm like, I think I agree with that. He definitely should have got an Oscar just for that scene alone. Yeah, that was, was a very entertaining scene. <laughs> Not sure how true to life it was in what was supposed to be a biography movie, but please remember to replace the speaker on the post when you leave the theater. And now, folks, it's time to say good night. We sincerely appreciate your patronage and hope we've succeeded in bringing you an enjoyable evening of entertainment. Please drive home carefully and come back again soon. Good night.